The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Привет! Доброго почаловать! Это русский подкаст, меня зовут Патрик Пексел, и с другой стороны моя любимая Костя мисс Гильген Кемерер. Очень хорошо говоришь по-русски, Патрик. Всем привет! That was amazing. I, I succeeded. <laughs> Somewhat, anyway. <laughs> I'm very impressed. <laughs> so, it's been a couple of years. Uh, but yeah, I did study Russian in, in high school. So uh, it's it's lagging behind and I had to use it in Riga the other year, uh, like last year, uh, which is more or less saying Harasho and thank you and, and uh, <laughs> everything. <laughs> but but yeah, it's a, it's a language I really wish I knew again. But 25 years is a long time, and I've lost every word possible. I think. I, I think I can. 25 read. days is a long time to go without speaking Russian. My yeah. God, I, I left Russia, and then a couple of months later, I had gone back to studying regularly, and I was like, "Wow, I don't speak a word of this language anymore." <laughs> I, I think I can still go through a menu and know if I'm ordering fish or chicken, but that's about it. <laughs> hey, it's the simple things, right? Yeah, well, it's it's like in Spanish. I can ask for direction to the bathroom. Huge. That's a huge one. That you've always got to know. Gdje toilet, like, you know, that's that's one of the majors. That, how to order a vodka and a beer, super easy. And by the time you're done with that, you'll have made friends with everyone at the bar. Yeah, and then you speak a little bit of English at that time anyway, so then you're good. <laughs> Especially after they've had a few drinks. Yeah, indeed. It, the, the only problem is the Scots, because I don't understand them after a few beers. <laughs> I don't understand before a few beers, so I, I think that's fair. Yeah. But welcome to this uh, KHL pod, and we're we're diving in. It's a week from the draft when we're recording this. Thank you, Gilligan, again for for always being a great guest. I'm I'm gonna just assume you're a great guest today again. But we're uh, <laughs> that's early assumption, Patrick. We haven't gotten into it. Uh, well, it's early day for you. It's afternoon for me. So we we'll see where this ends up. But anyway, we we we're gonna look at some of the draft prospects, and you've been busy studying them on TV because you're still stuck in New York, right? I am unfortunately still exiled away from uh, from the KHL, the MHL, the VHL that I have been watching. There's, I mean, there's nothing else to do, right? But turn on your television. So it's either hockey or like my slew of Korean dramas on Netflix, right? But by the way, before we get started, I just want to congratulate you today on on this, the day of Alexander Romanov's marriage. I think it's it's really a nice thing that we're recording today. It's like it's perfect timing. And and. Uh... Obviously, we should probably congratulate him because she seems lovely. I'm not sure about him, though, but but yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll congratulate them later. <laughs> yeah. uh, but but uh, it's been an outstanding season for one of the prospects, one of the maybe more diversified prospects. People hasn't really been able to pinpoint where to put him in the draft class. 
Uh, he's been up there at one point. I think he was up to top five, but he has fallen mainly because he's a goalkeeper and you tend to not take the goalkeepers very high. We have we have some examples of what you shouldn't do it, but we also have an example in Montreal with Kerry Price on why you should do it. Um, Askarov, what can you really tell us about his season start in, in, in uh, SKA and, and uh, how do you see his future going on? Well, I think there's two factors at play that are worth discussing because often we divorce prospects from the environment in which they're growing in and in which they're competing in. We talk about them and not everything going on around them. And I think with Askarov, there's two interesting things to focus on. The first is that if you were to ask me what's the best possible environment for uh, a prospect to develop in in Russia, I would say without even hesitation, Ska St. Petersburg. And, and the reason is that their, their development pipeline is essentially made of glass. They have a North American in Daniel Bachner who stands at the center of all the teams. He's the development coach for both Ska and the national team, hence why a lot of Ska youngsters wind up on the World Juniors team, why a lot of the Ska senior members will wind up on the national team when it comes to the Olympics time. You tend to also see that the Olympic and World Juniors benches are mirrors of Ska's coaching benches. And it's a very, very interesting trend. Um, but if you look at Scott St. Petersburg and Bachner's approach, he essentially unifies um, the development process across all teams because all of these guys will bounce inevitably between the VHL and the KHL. Skarov, of course, is a perfect example of that. Um, but he unifies everyone together at a development camp at, right before the main camps, and he sets the trajectory and the course of action for each prospect, and every coach from every team is in on it. So you see a lot of these guys not only easily transitioning between the teams, which has been an important thing, and we'll talk about that in the second factor, but also you're seeing that these guys make the transition to North America seamlessly. And with Bachner there, who is more than aware of what North America demands, Roman Rottenberg's the GM. He's very North American minded in a lot of ways. It's just a much more seamless transition. St. Petersburg has so many elements that remind me of a North American club and their development process. I think Barnon is is one of the most robust in Russia. The second factor is that we have a COVID-19 crisis in the KHL right now with entire lineups going down at once. And Ska St. Petersburg is no exception. So unfortunately, and I wish the circumstances were different, um, for both fortunately and unfortunately, these youngsters are being asked to step up in a way that is just beyond what we could have ever dreamt of. Because a lot of times in Russia, you earn those playing minutes as a youngster. I'm not saying you don't do it everywhere, but very often young players are, are either penalized in time on ice or it just takes a while for them to break into the lineup. Askarov has been asked to step in in a huge way this season already, and he has already made a huge difference for St. Petersburg. He was asked to step in um, when Ska went down 3 nothing against Avangard, one of the hottest teams in the KHL. He protected the team enough to wage a comeback. They wound up losing 4-3, but it was a super unfortunate two-on-one situation, shorthanded, just very irresponsible, defending some mistakes made. Um, and Askarov was, was thrown to the wolves, but he had protected them up until the point that they were able to wage a comeback against one of the toughest teams in the K. And then when he starts the next game, which you know was his first start of the season, for Ska, he casually shuts out Spartak, which is by no means a joke. Spartak, Oleg Znarek's one of the winningest coaches in KHL history. I mean, it was just an unbelievable feat. And then he protects them in a very close game against Dave Nemirovsky's Torpedo. So already this season, Askarov is showing the flashes of the elite goaltender that both 
his world juniors coach, Nikolai Hobby Bulin, and his development coach, Daniel Bachner, have said to me that he is. Um, so I think everything that you say about him is qualified for his age. He has all the flexibility and, and the acrobaticism you expect out of a Russian goaltender along the lines of a Bobrovsky. He has this speed. Um, he doesn't necessarily challenge or act as aggressively from the get-go. And I think if you compared him to like an Ilya Sorokin who plays a more aggressive game, he falls behind that. But he reminds me maybe a bit more of a Shesterkin and his ability to keep calm. He reads plays and shooters at a level that is just so far beyond what a kid his age normally would be able to do. So I think Askarov's a really exciting prospect. His glove hand is probably the thing he needs to focus on most, but it's funny because so much is made of, of his glove hand because he is a right glove goalie. Uh, jury's still out for me on whether or not that's actually an advantage, like a right glove, <laughs> or sorry, a, a lefty server in tennis. Like that's an actual advantage. I've spoken with shooters who have lined up on him and they're sort of like, I'm not really all that thrown off. It's really not a big deal. Nikolai Hobby Bullen said he's also not certain whether or not that gives him a particularly distinct advantage. But Askarov, to my mind, from what I've witnessed, is the real deal. And we're going to get a lot more of a look at him over the course of the KHL season than I think we even expected at the outset. When you look at it, uh, I mean, like, he's always had that technical skills that has been visible. But what about his mental fortitude? It, it seems a little bit like with whatever happened in the World Juniors last year and, and the under-18s a little bit the previous year before, that he has trouble in the big games or uh, he, he's, he's weak mentally. I wouldn't say weak mentally because if you play in Ska and, and in K, you, you're, you're not weak. But compared to maybe what you expect a goalkeeper to be, he seems to not have that mental fortitude just yet. I think that the World Junior Championship really set the tone on how he's been spoken about um, as a prospect. And I don't necessarily think that's fair because we could have said the same about Carey Price and Hobby Bullen said the same thing. Look what Carey Price developed into after a World Junior showing that wasn't necessarily his best. Judging Askarov by one tournament is tough. I think the real measure of his mental fortitude is going to come in this season, stepping up in a big way for Ska. Scott, by no means, is <laughs> desperate for talent. They have an unbelievable pipeline, as we mentioned. Yes, there are issues that are allowing Askarov to step up in ways that maybe he wouldn't have been asked to. But the fact that he not only you know, helped to wage a comeback against Avangard, shut out Spartak, he's demonstrating this ability to handle the toughest teams in the KHL. It's one thing to be playing Kunlun Red Star, who are winless except for a forfeit defeat that they were handed when Lokomotiv couldn't get a squad together in time. It's a whole other story to be up against a team like Spartak that has ex-NHLers, for example. And I've seen him keep his cool in very tough situations that he's actually i think more so this season than ever demonstrated that he's able to face some of the most confident snipers in the khl so i think that that's something that will develop with time and i think with a goaltender we qualify so much about him you know with his age for his age yes he's extremely skilled for his age but he is still so young and that mental fortitude will only come the more he faces 
very competent shooters and proves to himself that he's able to handle it. And I wish that we could restage him, you know, in that exact World Juniors tournament at the end of this year and see how more KHL starts would have impacted him. I think he knew all eyes were on him. It is a very high profile tournament, but it's by no means the only metric by which we can measure a kid like him. And I think that he's shown at least so far this season that he is up to the initial comparisons and discussions of him um, that I think were drawn back a little bit because of his World Juniors performance. Looking at it, uh, as you mentioned, he, he has the agility, he has the physique. Will this also the mental fortitude maybe have benefited from from a prolonged off season where he can build up, work mentally, maybe study more tape, learn from mistakes he has done before, and 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 in that way strengthen him in all areas of his game. So many KHL players have said to me, and and it's such a great point, Patrick, that having the extended off season. Um, wound up probably benefiting them in ways that they didn't expect. I've had a few guys say to me, I always put off agility training. Agility is one of the hardest things for me. I was forced to do that because I had no other choice um, or I was forced to watch video because I couldn't be on the ice. And therefore I see elements of my game that I was hesitant to work on improving. And I think for Askarov, Again, being in that St. Petersburg system, being surrounded by such talented coaching staff, um, having gone to the development camp ahead of the main team camp, he will have had a really strong offseason to think about things, to improve. I've already seen uh, a measured difference in, in his behavior from World Juniors to his few KHL performances this season. It remains to be seen when Magnus Helberg comes back to the lineup what they do with Askarov. But right now, I think Askarov has been more definitively the backup to Helberg. So let's see what happens. Um, you know, Valerie Braggins, the head coach of Ska right now, he was um, the head coach of that World Junior squad. So he knows these youngsters inside out. He is playing them a fair bit, but I think Askarov is getting even more chances than a guy like Podkulzin or Morozov were before COVID because they were kind of, you know, sitting on the bottom line, seeing minutes, but not necessarily being called up in the ways that other teams tend to litter their prospects throughout their lines, whereas it was kind of like the world juniors line sat there at the bottom and anchored. But Askarov, you know, given that, you know, Magnus Helberg has been out of the lineup, given that his Russian backup hasn't done a particularly compelling job also out of the lineup, I think we're going to see more and more of Askarov. And I, I'm just very impressed with what I've seen so far from him. Right now, he's slotted in that 10 to 15 spot. As I mentioned, he has been up to the fifth spot, just under the under 18s, I think, when, when he took... Um, Russia to the silver. It was just a weird Swedish guy named Lucas Raymond that scored a hat trick in the final. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> uh, but but uh, we we look at it and where do you th- which team in NHL do you think will have an extended look or, or maybe even pick him out of those first round or, or I gotta tell you, Patrick, I can't I can't predict for you what the NHL teams are gonna pick because I don't tend to focus on where the you know what the team's holes are here in North America. If you're asking me the opposite <laughs> about where these KHL guys are aiming or what they need to fill in offseason, it's an easier answer. But I think Askarov going early in the first round, somewhere between 10 and 15, is probably approximately right. I might even push him up a little bit higher, but one, he's Russian, two, he's a goaltender. So for me personally, I would say that we're we're angling right 
about the correct place where he should go, but he, at least to me, is placing in the draft better than guys like Sorokin and Shostyorkin did when you think about the fact that they were both, you know, unbelievable goaltending talents who drafted kind of late. So I'm happy to see that European scouting has improved enough that we can be looking at a Russian goaltender in that position. Goalie's already at a discount, and then that quote-unquote Russian factor that drives me nuts when people talk about it that always tends to operate at a discount. So I think he's right now kind of fairly placed, as you mentioned. Others that, that has been spoken of is, is Amirov, obviously. Um, he is in that 15 to 25 spot, maybe. Um, yeah. And so, and, yeah. Go ahead. Now you go ahead. You're the expert. <laughs> I'm just here for, for, for looking decent. <laughs> well, why aren't we on video then? I'm, I'm missing out, Patrick. Um, next time we have to do this on Zoom. So I don't know. I Here's the thing. Another This is another example of a team zonked by COVID, taking out their top scorers and asking these youngsters to step up in a whole new way. Um, if you look at the, the scoring race in the KHL right now, three out of five are Scandinavians from Salavat Yulayev, but they've been out for a while. Interestingly, because they've been out and because there's been some movement on that lineup, Pavel Datsuk has snuck up to number two, the exact opposite of a prospect, like one of the oldest players in the game right now. Um, just a, a silly aside, but I mean, I can't We should have him on a line season. with the Jager. That would be like amazing, <sighs> right? Wouldn't it be? It's like the opposite of the world juniors line. It's like the world seniors line. If we could get Yager up in there. Um, it's just funny. Like it, it, he's so he snuck up there. But Salavat Ilayev, again, a team that is showing itself to have a strong development pipeline. And I think if you if you consider that their first ever the first ever pupil from Salavat school lifted the Stanley Cup this week in Vasilev. Um, it's an exciting moment for them to continue to show off the youth that they're developing. And they have a few guys that are sort of on the short list for the Russians. But if we're talking about Rodion Amirov, I mean, no question that he's a, a great fast skater. He has that fantastic wrister. He has the smooth hands that you would expect out of a, a young Russian forward that's coming up the ranks. But what I think sets him apart and what I think is so special about him perhaps compared to other Russian forwards in this draft class is that he's really good without the puck and if you talk to Daniel Bachner at SKA and you talk to him about what he looks for and the young prospects he's developing he so often says are you good without the puck are you good without the puck we know that you've got the you know the silky hands and all the other things that classify these Russians and set them apart but Looking at how he performs without the puck, I think Amirov has a bit of an advantage um, compared to some of his other counterparts. Um, he does spend time on the penalty kill. He's very efficient with his stick. I think overall he's a, a special prospect. And if you look at him in KHL play, scored his first KHL goal and was like, you know what, I'm not done. I think I'm going to score my second one in the same game. And he's already up to five points in eight games. So if Ufa continues to have... Um, some absences, if they continue to see production from him, we may get a longer run in the KHL from Amirov, which is fantastic. And I'm happy to see these youngsters producing at the KHL level because I think it reinforces a point that needs to be made to KHL teams broadly, which is that these teenagers often do have something to contribute. We've talked about this in the context of Romanov. Sometimes Russian prospects are discounted or they're punished with time on ice because they have North American aspirations. This isn't true across the league, but maybe in some more traditional Russian contexts that can be true. But when we're in this desperate 
desperate situation, forcing these teams to take a second look at their VHL and even their MHL squads. Um, guys like Amirov are being called upon to produce. And, and so far, he's done pretty well. So I'll look forward to seeing more of him, and I expect to see more of him. But yeah, he's a, a very interesting prospect moving in. I'm, I'm very looking forward to seeing how he develops over the course of this season with more chances on the KHL team. First, I have to say, I also ho- hope that Montreal drafts him so we can keep having these conversations. But, but yes, me too. But, but also, as I, I was just going to ask you, will this be a change? Will this lead to a change of, of Russian development? And, and you already asked, uh, answered it in a way. But, but long term, can COVID actually improve Russian hockey? You know, I think that it's going to show to some extent, the depth that some of these teams have, it's going to reveal the holes. So if we look at some teams that either had to accept forfeit defeats or are really struggling to ice a squad or putting up, you know, just a handful of D-men who are playing 30 minutes plus, it's showing where there are holes in their own, in their own pipelines. And that's, you know, an unfortunate byproduct that may have positive outcomes if it's taken seriously. But Yes, I do think that there's now a further understanding of what these teenagers can do. The question is, are you a ska that looks at developing a prospect as a long-term investment in the person that will pay off for the club in any margin, or are you looking at it as sunk cost? And you can understand why some of these teams look at it as sunk cost, because, okay, developing a prospect means giving him minutes and letting him make mistakes on my watch. If I'm going to do that and he's going to make his mistakes and then a year after he begins to right the ship, he begins to become productive, he flees for North America, what is that doing for me in the long run? Now, some places are going to look at it as an investment in their school, their pipeline. If they can provide a more attractive development platform, maybe they'll get more talented youngsters. There are there are reasons on both ends of the spectrum. But I do hope for teams like UFA and SCA that are deep. Uh, and do have, you know, some nice youngsters coming up the pipeline that they'll be placed maybe more throughout the lineup. I think I was looking, as I mentioned, Brogan was playing his World Juniors line together, whereas if I look at Akbar's Kazan, you know, they took some of their youngsters and threw them next to Denis Saripov or Nigel Dawes. I want to see these young kids next to some of these veterans. I mean, look at Vitaly Kravtsov. He's been on the top line for Tractor next to a guy like Nick Balin, for example, who's been there forever and is, you know, North American who's come over to the KHL and been quite productive. It's nice to see these guys mixed up within the lines and moved around. So hopefully it not only encourages them to play the teenagers more, but it encourages them to play them alongside some of their more established stars, not only for the prospects development, but also because, hey, these kids are good. They can contribute. And the KHL is now in a salary cap environment, if we, lest we forget. That was already a drama that, that kind of messed with the lineup. So these youngsters could become more and more important and it should give some of these teams confidence in what they have. And for others, it's a reminder that they need to think about the next generation coming up through the pipeline. Going ahead, uh, there are a few other names. Uh, Rashevsky, Shishnutinov are, are, are two others that are very highly re- regarded in, in the draft previews and, and, and uh, among scouts. What do you see, really? Um, so I think let's start with Roshevsky because he's kind of like a late bloomer for this draft. He wasn't really talked about very much, and he was the top scorer, goal scorer in Russian juniors. He's a very instinctive player. What I like about him um, is that he 
tends to be more of the brains of a line. He tends to be a playmaker. He reads the game very well. He sees the ice incredibly well. But what I think is so funny about him is that that kid can make a pretty tricky pass. Like I have seen some very fun, very interesting decisions made. But unfortunately, unfortunately, he doesn't necessarily have the level of talent on his line to pick up what he's throwing down. So he's the top goal scorer. He was the top goal scorer in the MHL. But he wasn't the top point scorer overall. And I think if some of those passes had connected or some of what he had seen had translated across his line, he may have contended for both titles. So I like this kid. I think he's been kind of overlooked. And some of that, again, I think has to do with the environment in which he's playing. He's playing for for Dinamo St. Petersburg, which is not the same as Ska. And it's a, it's a totally different organization. Maybe a little bit less attention is paid uh, to their pipeline, but it's going to be very hard to ignore this kid. I think that he's only going to continue to develop that incredible instinctive game that he plays. Um, one thing that I think we'll have to kind of keep an eye on is, you know, what he does when he doesn't have the puck. Again, I've, I've said this a few times, but as, as far as Ryshevsky goes, we're, we're not super thrilled with what we've seen. Um, and I also think that some people, and I've read some prospect reports that have commented on his skating. I think one, one report that I read called it weird. I'm going to have to watch it a little closer to get a better sense of what exactly that means. Um, but he has the mind. And I think that that's a really exciting element of Ryshevsky. I know some of the Swedish coaches are always saying that as long as they have the mind, you can sort of get the rest going but but i've never heard about a russian player skating weird and, there and you that, go right this, usually this is, they're the best skaters in the draft but i mean like <laughs> russians are known for for as you say the silky mitts but also for fantastic skating yes 100 percent. and is that actually down to the figure skating and do they have more in in um, workouts with the figure skating coaches or is it just that they as I remember reading about Tarasov, that he took bandy players uh, from start and, and used that big, uh, wide area to, to, to practice on, and that made Russian players more skilled when it came to skating. It's so interesting, the figure skating crossover. Obviously, there's a rich figure skating history um, in Russia and a descendant of Anatoly Tarasov. Tatiana is a very well-known figure skating coach. Increasingly, we're seeing um, ice dancers and figure skaters coming over and working with junior teams. This isn't in Russia, obviously, but within the KHL system, um, there's a very famous Canadian ice dancer working with the Joker at juniors. Um, and Alexei Kovlev, for example, has said to me that he designed his own stride modeling after speed skaters and figure skaters. So I think there is just this general emphasis on individual skill set, including skating. Some great power skating coaches that work in the NHL come out of Russia. So there's just a generalized focus. And I think that there's maybe more of a propensity to take a, a well-rounded approach to that with, you know, belief that you can get value from people other than hockey coaches and hockey players in that regard. Um, I'd be interested and I'll look into it more about what some of the ex figure skaters in Russia are doing, because there's quite a few that would be on the market and, and maybe working with, with young Russians. But I do know that skating is one of the things that's drilled into them. Also, don't forget, you know, these kids largely up until very recently, um, and it's going to change, grew up on the Olympic size sheet. So to be able to cope with that, a lot of it had to require some very efficient skating. 
now with the ice sizes trending smaller, I'll be kind of curious to see how it impacts them. Does it impact their acceleration? Do we see, you know, maybe a more North American style in, incorporated into the game and how these kids are raised? But, you know, up until very recently, Olympic sheets dominated the KHL. Now they're being phased out. So I think that also probably forced you to be a better skater than you wanted to be. It certainly has done so to the North Americans playing there. Yeah, I remember Francis Paré told me that, yeah, they, they were they were circling him around and around and around and he can just watch them and not practice <laughs> but they did it during games and he was like yeah i had to i had to really start working out in order to to become a professional player in the k so so obviously uh, that's something that is something that you always consider when you consider russian players it's the skating so of but, course but there are two more uh, there are a couple of more but but two of them i can barely pronounce and it's shusnutinov and mukamududulin or something Ooh. like that <laughs> <laughs> they did not make it easy for us this year did they I'm, I'm i'm waiting for you know like they have to make larger jerseys when these guys come over right and and elite prospects i'm always reliant on them to listen to how the players pronounce their names they need to start digging deeper into like the russian juniors and going over there with a tape recorder and getting them to loud because i listen to the russian commentators who say it in like three seconds flat and i'm like oh it's gonna take me i'm gonna have to get that on slow-mo to get this one down but yeah um marat husnutinov again another ska st petersburg um outgrowth he you know has been He's logged two games in the KHL in the midst of this like ska needing juniors because our entire team is is out with COVID and, and otherwise. Um, one was this really tough thrashing against Sibir, which was the first time that ska had to put all the junior team players out. And, um, you know, the, I think the average age of application was somewhere around 20 years, 263 wow. days. Actual average age was 21. Youngest team ever iced in the KHL. Um, so that was a tough game <laughs> and then he was up again. And so he's had two kind of rough goes, you know, it's one thing to be the one youngster called up and peppered into the lineup. It's another thing to be asked to essentially field an entire team of juniors, entire lines of them, um, and try to play against men, their boys against men. So I think it's a little tough to evaluate in that context with Ska, but, you know, overall, he's a quite a flashy player, um, very high octane, high energy. I, I like that. And again, he tends to be the brains of a unit, right? He tends to be the playmaker. And I think that that's an exciting of this kid. Um, and he's also been called upon to captain Team Russia. So there's some natural and early leadership tendencies there. Um, and I think that he's, you know, especially when you think about the fact that he's smaller, he's a center, you have to think about the skating and the edge work. And for both of those things, Marat is very elite. So we're not dealing again with a weird stride. We're dealing with someone that's universally pretty much considered to be a good skater. Um, he's an asset again, when he doesn't have the puck again, very, very important. Um, he can force a turnover. He, he has all of these abilities to, to play and both on both ends of the ice. And I, I think that I'm excited about seeing more of him. I don't necessarily know that we'll see a ton of him once we have the entire Scott Petersburg lineup back in action. Um, but I think that he's a fun one to watch because, again, he has the vision. Um, and I think, you know, when you talk to guys like Igor Larionov, I think he was the one who said something like, if you, you know, are the only smart player on a stupid line, you can't make up for it. So hopefully, because we have Murat growing up in the Scott the system, we have some great prospects there. 
we'll get a better sense of exactly how he can execute on the vision he has because there are good players on that 1946 team that can pick up what he's putting down. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. But yeah, really, really nice energy from that kid. And I think he's quite talented. I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, especially given that he's a slightly smaller player. So you know, the fact that he can play well defensively, the fact that, you know, he can kind of skate his way out of trouble. All of that is is great to see. So I think that he'll be a, he'll be another good one to watch out of that ska camp. And hopefully, you know, we'll get a few more call ups for him during the season. Remind me again, because unsold right now. So, so I forgot everything. But Fedorov wasn't really that tall either, was he? Uh, Sergei Fedorov? Yeah. I, I'm trying to remember exactly how tall he was. I don't. You know, the thing is, too, he sits a, when you sit a little bit lower in the face-off, sometimes it has some advantages. I was talking to Eric O'Dell, who's a great face-off taker, and he was saying that he, he plays with a shorter stick and he gets a little lower to the ground. So as a center, that's always valuable. But I can't quite remember. I think I think Fedorov was on the more – I think he was above six foot. I could be wrong about that, but he was at least around six foot. So, you know, not – he wasn't too short. He wasn't, you know, six foot four, six foot five, like some of these other kids we're seeing coming out of this draft. But, uh, yeah, I think Fedorov was maybe a little bit a little bit on the taller end. Yeah. And then we have the Mukhamudulin. Oh, God. Was that even half right or, or not? Um, Shakir Mukhamadulin, I think, is how they've been saying it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's another one. They're going to have to get a bigger jersey for that name. Um, Shakir, he's the most controversial pick of the draft. What do you think? I, I like him, but I always like these controversial picks because I'm like, yeah, this is a fun guy. This is this is the, uh, the one that stands out, obviously, name-wise as well, but and, and Russian and from uh, what I presume is a, is, um, a southern more area of, of, of Russia. Um, and, and with what I also presume another heritage, really. But I, I, I like it. I, I like him. He is very polarizing. He has skill to spare. But but yeah, I, I really don't know where, what to do with him. And I know Scouts yeah. has been all over him. And, and yeah. it seems like He's, they are so not funny. sure what he can do either. So, so that's my... I mean... I've seen him all over the place. Like I've seen people saying he'll go late in the first and then others are like, he'll go in the third. I'm like, well, that's a pretty big difference. Um, it's but it's crazy also a very how... even draft. I, I think that's the problem. So if a team is True. really high on, on, on someone, they will take him early because um, it seems to me like from 20 to, to 60, there are like, yeah, you can almost make a toss up of, of who's going where. It's tough, you know, and here he is, the giant Russian defenseman. Um, and, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of people were commenting on was what his offensive production capabilities were. And meanwhile, he has six points in 12 games. And it's like, okay, this is a story that's unfolding in real time because we're getting a look at him um, in the call-up. We're getting a look at him just like we're getting a look at Amirov in a, in a closer fashion than maybe we would have. So given the timing of the draft, given the KHL COVID situation, like it's very fluid with some of these kids because we maybe didn't have as close of a look at them before. And now as we're trying to make decisions about the draft, you know, they're getting called up to the big show. So what I like about him, obviously, is his size. He's, you know, he get he's not afraid to get physical and he's got one hell of a shot. His shot from the point is an absolute rocket. Um, you know, the thing is, despite the fact that there have been questions about whether or not he can produce offensively, 
he does like to get in on it. He joins the attack, but he has been in some cases inconsistent. And there is a question about whether, you know, he's com- actually competing in the game or watching it because there's a certain like passivity to his play. But I'm excited about him. I think that he's an interesting pick. I think that if he goes like in the third round, for example, he's maybe the steal of the draft. Um, you know, but at the same time, it, it, we're going to have to watch more. You know, the, the comparison that's been made a couple times to Zadorov, I think, is a bit unfair. Zadorov would take his skate blade off and cut your head off like a guillotine before he'd let you get in front of him. And I think this kid, because he tends to be a bit more passive, we're going to have to see more aggressive physical play. At the end of the day, if your dream is the NHL, you need to be able to play that physical game. It's why Romanov was able to come over earlier than later, because he has some of that North American grit that made him better suited to Montreal or better suited to the AHL NHL than he was even to the K. So we've got to see a bit more fire out of this kid, but I mean, he wants to be a two-way defender. He's producing early already. He does have the size. So let's see what happens with him. But I, I also tend to be on the slightly more bullish end when it comes to Shakir. Yeah, and I, I also think, you know, it's... I, I wonder if the experience with Roman Arb in, in Montreal and drafting him early, uh, for what, what many pundits thought was early, has changed the perception by for Russian defenders as well. Because I know when I was in Stockholm for the Sweden hockey games, there were quite a few scouts and um, um, part of, of, of the front uh, staff that, that said Romana would go top three in a redraft. Mm, that's uh, interesting. Well, I mean, when you have a, a potential, you know, top tier defenseman, it's it's hard to imagine that he's going to be overlooked, but that's exactly it, right? It's the potential. And we've seen such kind of limited, we, we've had a kind of limited view of what Shakir's capable of, um, especially in the KHL, although so far he's been stepping up in a big way. But yeah, I, I think it's very interesting. You know, we we came from an era with like a Vladimir Konstantinov, like just a phenomenal Russian defenseman who had all the physicality that everyone said the Russians didn't. And I think we're we're seeing more and more that the view of Russian defenders is changing. But again, like this is someone who has been, you know, for by most measures that I've read, kind of inconsistent, particularly in his offensive output. Um, but I'm I'm kind of intrigued by him, and I do think he has the possibility of being that two-way defenseman that he ang- is angling to be. But I, I would like to see him a little bit more in play for Salavad, and we may very well get to see more of him, um, especially with himself and, and Amirov playing well in their, their few sub-ins this season. And obviously the size really benefits him as well. Uh, you, you would have... There is, a ch- there, there is a strong possibility that he can reach the NHL just because of the size uh, when you look at yes. it. And, and, and GMs tend to take that swing for someone like that. We're going to see it with some of the Swedish kids as well. Uh, and I think, you know, you will see it with this one as well. Well, just uh, like size can kill you, it can, it can help you too. Indeed it can. Uh, then it's like, it sounds like half of the Russian national team thrown in together. Oveshnikov. yeah well it's funny with him i think right he's got he had 55 points in 54 games um he's not huge he's he's under six feet but he is a factor i think and i think that he can make a difference again he's another kid and i keep saying this and it sounds really repetitive but it's true he's another one who can read the ice very well he has he has good vision for someone his age um and i think when you look at someone like him and you look at whether or not he's able to be a playmaker right it's one thing to have the vision it's another thing to execute it 
He's a quick passer, um, and I think in general he has a pretty good shot. So I'll look forward to seeing more of him for sure. But at the same time, you know, I think that he's a little bit willing to get into that that gritty game that some of the Russians, we argue, aren't. And I think that was a big thing with Kravtsov, right, was did he come back to Russia willing to kind of be first in on the forecheck? Is he getting a bit more physical versus cute, as one of his teammates put it to me. And and after some time in the AHL, it's kind of clear he's playing a more physical game. Um, but yeah, with this kid, with, with Dimitri, I think he is kind of willing to get down and dirty. And then the fact that he has some nice vision already for someone his age is, is a nice, that's a nice stepping stone going forward. Do you think, do you think he makes the cut? I think he will be drafted. I'm not sure on, on how far down he will be drafted though. But in, you also have mm. to consider, for, for me, I think when you reach at least round five, you'd rather swing for the fences than, than go with someone that, oh, he'll probably make it. Uh, if I was a GM, I'm not. But if I was, I would probably swing for the fences because <laughs> when, when you get that Datsuk, that Henrik Lundqvist, the Gallagher, etc., etc., um, they make bigger impacts and maybe the guy that you will have for, for 25 games on your... Uh, third pairing or fourth line and then never hear about again um, I think it's more value in doing that take a chance go for it of course not everyone is going to pan out and you're probably going to miss more than you hit but everyone will remember the hit more yeah that's absolutely true that's absolutely true well said and we have Pashkin, who I just want to mention him, uh, David San louis one of our uh, prospect guys at Eyes on the Price, he said uh, he's a five seven dangler but he won't make the cut <laughs> so, so he's a good he's a great skater that's that's one thing about him that i like again another ufa prospect they've really sh- they've shown up for this draft i'm, I'm going to be interested to see what else is coming down the pipeline in ufa I, they've, UFA they've really produced hasn't ufa really always had a really good uh junior program as well they do. They have a great junior program. Um, and I, I have to say that the more that I see of their juniors, particularly now getting the call up, the more impressed I am. They were always a storied club in the KHL, in the Russian league. You know, they produced the likes of Sasha Simak, for example. Um, and they've had they've had some wonderful people pass through the program, especially now with the tailwind of Vasilevsky Stanley Cup win. You know, you're they're only going to continue to get more attention. Um, and Pashin, you know, I think that for someone of his age, he's very, very quick. Um, you know, for someone who's five seven, I think you have to be able to rely on being a great skater because you're you're not going to win battles based on size. Um, and he does tend to win that race to the loose puck. And I, I think in general, you know, it'll be interesting to see over the course of the season whether or not the criticism of him, which is that maybe sometimes he's watching the game versus playing it, if that's something that's going to clear up as as nerves settle and he gets maybe some more call up time. But overall, I, I think it'll be really fun to watch him. I like you said, I. Would I was kind of surprised when you threw his name out to me because I, I wouldn't have expected him to make the cut. But yeah, I mean, an interesting kid overall. You never know where you can get these undrafted sort of interesting youngsters. I see it pop up every once in a while in Russia. Um, and lest we forget, our Timmy Panarin was undrafted, but that's a very special case. So oh, and he made I don't me know. some money. I'll be honest to say that he made me some money because I bet on him as the Calder Trophy winner. Uh, which was insane in a way, but but uh, I was also fortunate in in some ways that McDavid got injured. But but uh, yeah, it was it, it was it was it was crazy really because he uh, was it McDavid? I don't know. But but yeah, the the front runner got injured. 
but also coming in as 25 and being able to win the rookie or year, rookie of the year award is, is just I don't think it's fair, especially not having played that well in decay. Well, yeah, and again, another another kid who came from not from the very very beginning, but played a long time at SCA. That just seems to be the right place to aid in a transition over to North America, and his was seamless. I would um, I could actually see Parshin um, not getting drafted this year, but people will watch him and take him as an overager next year. Partly if he adds some size, partly uh, if he, as you say, uh, get more integrated into the whole play of the game and not just the fun part of the game. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think he will be someone keep people keep an eye on. I mean, obviously, your scouts are already watching him. He was he was well under my radar until you said, hey, what about him? And I was like, okay, let's go there. Yeah, he's he's interesting. And clearly, you've got some guys that are, are going deep in Russia who, who have already been able to suss out as someone like Pashin. But you never know with these undrafted kids what they're capable of. So if he doesn't make the cut this year, which he, he very well may not, you never know what could happen next season, especially if he gets more call-ups, if UFA continues to dig deep uh, into their system because they're having trouble with, with COVID or injuries or otherwise on their top end. Obviously, I have to ask because it is Montreal pod. We're all waiting. We, we've seen him celebrate his, his wedding day today on Instagram. But how do you see um, Romanov now? compared to when we last spoke when he signed the contract and we said he might need another Russian guy there in order to facilitate his, his uh, getting back, getting into the team in, in Montreal. Uh, now he stayed with the bubble and he might not need another Russian guy there, right? I, I think that the fact that he had that opportunity um, to be with them is huge. And some of the Russian kids really made their mark. You know, I can't speak from the inside on Romanov, but like Sorokin, for example, really integrated well, was taking English classes in the bubble. And the Islanders were, some of the Islanders management were telling me recently that he seems to have made a really strong first impression. And I suspect that it would be similar for Romanov. He's coming over married, which we talked about. He's very young, but it might be a good source of stability in a new country. Um, and he did, I think as we, I forget exactly when we last spoke, but he was increasingly getting playing minutes. We had gone through that period at the beginning of the season where he was averaging not much. Um, and then he was slowly getting called upon a bit more. And I was happy to see it. You know, I think with his case, again, it may have been a question of, oh, he's going to North America early. We don't need to play him. But obviously they did need to and they did resort to him. Um, but I think overall, it'll be fun to see where he winds up. I mean, are you expect how long would you expect him to wind up at Laval? I mean, realistically speaking, given Montreal's depth. Uh, are you talking to me about Laval? Yes. Uh, I've always said he's going straight into the team. So I, I, I can't see him go to Laval, uh, honestly. I think he's too good for it. I also think um, the message it sends to Russia in general is that we bring over kids when they're ready and you're going to get that chance. I think it's a very important message to send, uh, especially if you draft one or two kids uh, from Russia in this draft. Um, yeah, and, and I think he is so good. Uh I, I think he is too. I I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them if they sent him down for any period of time, um, adjusting him whether it's to North American style of play or otherwise. But 
if he starts off and he, you know, does what we saw him do at CSKA, but particularly on a team where his aggressiveness and physicality will be more well rewarded because it's so much more in line with the style of play in the NHL. I mean, then he should stay there, but you know, I think it'll be interesting. I, I'm, I'm excited about some of the decisions that he's made. I think he's putting himself in a position to succeed despite the fact that he's so young. Um, and just having had that experience, already getting to know some of his teammates. I think it aids some of that off ice transition that is incredibly difficult. I think no one estimates the true difficult, the, the true level of difficulty of new language, new teammates, new coaching staff, new playing style, new sized ice, all of that. Um, the off ice stuff does matter. And I think that having had a little bit of time to get his feet wet, he walks in already so much more confident, right? It's like having stepped into the first day of school knowing no one or like having gone to a two week summer camp before and gotten to know all your classmates, like you walk in with so much more confidence. And I think that that's, that's a lot more important um, and a lot more imperative than people realize when it comes to integrating a kid like Romanoff into a, a lineup very quickly. I can see them playing him on and off and, and using that seventh defender in the stands a little bit more. Uh, as a resting spot for, for some of the older guys and, and also for Romanov to, to get his feet wet and, and making sure that he's not overextending himself. Uh, but I, I, if he gets, he will start with the team. He might get a few weeks down in Laval, but I think it's important to show. And obviously uh, there will be no crowds there for, for I presume at least, especially with Montreal going into a lockdown. Uh, But I think that going into that opening night at home uh, with a with a torch and everything, you want to have Romano there to skate out with it and then transfer it to, to the next guy. It's the message that it sends uh, to, to the whole of Montreal. We got a new era coming. We got a new Macaro, uh, Marco coming. We, we got all this. We're ready. We're building for the future. And... Uh, We're not going to hold the youngsters back. When we saw what happened with Suzuki and Kotkaniemi in the playoffs, they took that step forward. Also, I think uh, much to the to the benefit of a prolonged um, off season or, or season break before before the playoffs started. Well, I think too. If you look like I, I keep bringing him up only because I'm asked a lot about him, but if you look at a kid like Vitaly Kravtsov, who had a good Traverse City tournament, doesn't get the immediate call up. Um, goes down to the AHL and suffers from a bit of a crisis of confidence. I had said a long time ago that I thought to some extent that may have been avoided if they had put him in the main team locker room alongside the likes of Artemi Panarin, even if he wasn't logging a lot of time on ice. Now, granted, the Rangers have a ton of depth in that position. And, you know, they don't, they, and like any team, you're not just rewarded playing minutes um, for, you know, one good tournament or whatever. But I thought that Kravtsov was convincing enough to have earned a spot from day one. And I think that some of his confidence and that destabilization came from the moving around. And we've already seen, unfortunately, he's out with a lower body injury today. And I'm concerned about that. But his start to the season was unbelievable. And so many people are saying to me, well, oh, my God, how could he? How could he? And I'm like, no, no, no. This is the Kravtsov we looked at when his rookie of the year season. This is the kid that I expected from day one. And this is the kid who's now delivering on that potential because he's in a place where he feels comfortable and supported. Now, of course, you're not always going to be in a place that's comfortable and supportive. And you have, as a professional, you have to deal with that. But giving Romanov an early nod, I think, would similarly bolster the confidence of a youngster who made quite 
I think you take a risk when you come over this young um, and you, you know, he obviously probably would have incurred the wrath of those in Russia who would have wanted him to stay until 22, like a guy like Kaprizov did. Um, But I think overall it it may bolster his ability to say to himself, you know, I can play in this league. This is the style of play that I want to play. And Valerie Brogan was right. I am better suited here. So, yeah, I think it would be great to see him passing that torch. It would be a nice symbol both to, to Romanov and to Montreal. Also, you mentioned him, uh, Kirill Kaprizov. Is he the Rookie of the Year winner in NHL next season? <sighs> um, I think, I certainly think it's a possibility. Um, if Kaprizov comes in and, and does what he did um, in Red Army these past couple of seasons, especially, I mean, he's he's a generational player. Kir- Kirill Kaprizov's the real deal. Um, you never know, and I, I always point to Vadim Shapachev as a great example. Shapachev is consistently when I talk to anyone in and around the KHL he's called upon as one of the smartest players they've ever played against I talked to his line mates last season top performing troika of all forwards in the KHL um, with Andre Pedersen and Dmitry Yashkin and both of them will say smartest player I've ever played alongside it's because of his brain that we were able to execute and granted he had two very talented guys alongside him um, but Shapachio flamed out and he had a disaster within the organization I don't necessarily foresee that happening with Kaprizov. And again, Kaprizov is younger. He has studied English. He's really pursued the mentorship of guys like Ryan Stoa and other imports in the K. Um, and he did that from back in his days playing in Novokuznetsk. So I'm I'm hopeful for an easier transition. But, I mean, this kid is capable of doing damage. He was not only, you know, the most important factor <laughs> on Red Army and in the KHL with Elias Sorokin very, very close, maybe even tied. But he's also an Olympic gold medalist. He, he secured, um, you know, that Olympic gold. So when you think about what he's done on the international stage, what he's done um, in and around the KHL, I think he's coming with all the confidence in the world and much like a Shostyorkin, and I would hope to see him transition very easily. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been a fan of uh, Kirill Kaprizov for, for ages, uh, even longer than I've been a fan of, uh, of Romanov. But yeah, I think I think he will be up there. It all depends on which line he will get in Minnesota, but it seems they are clearing space and will be able to put him on the first line and, and really let him do the same damage as he did with, with the Red Army team. Jillian. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. It's always a pleasure. I'm sure, as I mentioned at the start of the pod, we could probably sit here and talk for, for, for five hours with a five bottles of champagne. Uh, champagne. You don't Goya. think your listeners want to hear that? <laughs> <laughs> five bottles of champagne, five hour deep dive. <laughs> uh, it would, we, we would start with Tarasov and just continue through the history. It would be awesome. Oh, and we'll promise that. Music for, to my for, ears. For, for, for one day, we'll have that special episode, but not tonight. Uh, Thank you so much, Jillian. I'm looking forward to talk to you again, hopefully after the draft, about some of these guys that we mentioned uh, today and hopefully in regards to Montreal Canadiens. Um, stay safe, everyone. Please stay safe. Wash your hands, wear a mask, listen to what the scientists say and uh, behave accordingly. Jillian, thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. Paka paka.
for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.